opportunities into their own hands. In their respective groups, they laid out their thoughts in structured art theories and released them in a range of artistic manifestos. On this podcast, we pick apart these manifesto-led movements, including the artists behind them and the works they produced. I'm Tom Screencast. And I'm Ariel Lillagarza. Wow. Extra buttery today. Um, We're looking at the technical manifesto of futurist literature and the response to objections. So the first first one today, the technical manifesto of futurist literature, was published as an independent pamphlet in 1912. And then again, where it was properly disseminated in the preface to the futurist poets, um, published in Milan, the Edizioni di Poesia, 1912. This is interesting because it was originally a collection of poems in free verse, mm. but obviously this essay, as as we'll see, uh, doesn't fit the free verse anymore. It explicitly wants to go beyond free verse. Nonetheless, the uh, publication was very successful, and it sold about 20,000 copies, which I guess... <laughs> 20,000 copies? I mean, for an art mag in I 1912 is not bad. Yeah. Not bad? Amazing! Yeah, amazing. Today um, you release something, about four. Four people And they're read all it. people that you are and friends are, of. And your friends. <laughs> your family. Yeah. And no one read it. Will you yeah. please read it? No, um, no. But so then it's republished in July. Yes. Um, of that same year in... L'intransigeant, which is the intransigent in French, in France, and Le Temps, and really many, many other uh, newspapers publish it, eventually reaching Der Strom in uh, October. Mm. German. German. Yeah. A very famous German art journal Mm. where lots of great people published. um, Kandinsky, Kokoschka, lots of people. Um, Response to Objections is published in August 1912. So... This first manifesto goes out into the world. Lots and lots of people read it and clearly start to object fairly heavily to yeah. everything it says. The first one's out in 11th of May. He, mm-hmm. I mean, he does everything of, on the 11th. It doesn't actually go out on the 11th, but he says on the 11th. May, so June, July, August, over those few months, he's getting such a huge number of objections and responses exactly. that he feels compelled to actually give a supplementary piece. And mind you, most of the republishing happens in July, so really uh. blistering turnover gets published again in L'Intransigeant on the 20th of August. And again, in March 1913, it mm-hmm. gets published in German, again in Der Strom, with an essay by Alexander Doblin, who, who is interesting and who I will talk about later on in the podcast. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not privy to this. So, uh, and speaking of prithy, do you uh, have a pithy summary today, oh, Thomas? I was meant to be prithy, but yeah, th. Uh, uh, no, I don't today. Oh. Uh, instead, I have a gutted. It's 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 just a a, a light summary, <laughs> um, but I will preface it with a reading from the technical manifesto of future literature, just the very beginning. Well, let's let's dive straight in. Hmm. Sitting astride the fuel tank of an airplane. 
my stomach warmed by the aviator's head. I felt the ridiculous inanity of the old syntax inherited from Homer, a raging need to liberate words, dragging them out from the prison of the Latin period. Like all imbeciles, this period naturally has a prudent head, a stomach, two legs and two flat feet. But it will never have two wings. Just enough to walk, take a short run, and come up short, panting. This is what the swirling propeller told me as I sped along at 200 metres above the powerful smokestacks of Milan. So immediately a wonderful start, but I will give a, a little bit of a summary. Um, there are, the Technical Manifesto of Futurist Literature has 11 declarations in it. Mm-hmm. The first concerns syntax and the destruction of syntax and the proposal that of, of a new kind of literature that is noun-heavy. Nouns are the focus point. Secondly, uh, verbs should only be in the infinitive. Those are the ones that are like to be or to eat, not mm-hmm. like I am eating or I will eat or I eat. As we'll see by the 11th one, he wants to destroy the I. So uh, they have to be more generalized. We'll talk about that specifically. Three, uh, uh, adjectives. No, must be abolished. Abolish all adjectives. Mm-hmm. Four, abolish all adverbs. Yeah. So you'll see that this is, there'll be a, there's a writing task along with this. <laughs> Five, nouns must have a double. And uh, as we'll see, that this actually gives way to a kind of strange mixed metaphor, a very subtle mixed metaphor, but they have to be united together since nouns are now doing the heavy lifting. Six, punctuation must be abolished. But in lieu of that, he is happier by introducing mathematical symbols, such as greater than, lesser than, plus, minus, equals, divide, multiply. You can imagine that, you know, if, if he explored it further, he might be getting, you know, I don't know, differentiation in there. <laughs> he could really mess around with he it. Has, he has, I think, division. He does have division. Or the, the colon, which I don't really know what that means, but anyway. Um, sure. But we could imagine like what it would you know mm-hmm. extend to. Is he going to include differentiation, exactly. integration of concepts? What I else? don't know. Uh, seven, a greater gradation of analogies. Uh, so he's actually going to be looking to produce more disparate and strange. He actually wants to estrange the reader from the content that they're reading. Understanding, as you'll see, is very much going to be a thing of the past. It's not going to be the focus. Uh, eight is uh, categories of images. This is actually, I think, the least well-defined, and he doesn't seem to develop it, but uh, we'll get to that mm-hmm. as well. But it seems to be the most throwaway of the lot. Nine is a chain of analogies. This continues from uh, 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 the seventh one, apologies, um, where he introduces concepts like the nets of images or analogies. So He's going to be uh, going down a rabbit hole where we really do start to mix the metaphors and we get stranger and stranger and stranger. But we get this kind of pattern and uh, semi-cacophony that is almost musical, but he wouldn't want to call it as such, come out of it. Um, It's almost proto-Dada, proto-surrealist. Number 10 is an advocation of maximum disorder. This is not only about the destruction of syntax, but he also a comment about uh, what sorts of objects he's talking about, such as the nouns and their doubles with number five, but also just understanding is not the focus. And then number 11 is the destruction of the eye. He wants to move away from the human sensibility towards a machine sensibility. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we'll actually see that he introduces new ideas like words set free or words in freedom and hatred of intelligence, and 
the reign of the animal is over, we have to move towards the reign of the machine, the hybrid human, the machine man, as we've mentioned in previous podcasts. And so, uh, just very briefly, in the objections, uh, which he uses as a supplement, he has eight declarations, which are not especially new. They are just more in detail. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are, one, he goes further on to hate intelligence. He rejects a kind of criticism of, uh, of some that... Uh, or rather an interpretation of some, that he is a Bergsonian. Instead, he says, no, 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 I'm actually much closer to someone like Dante or Poe in separate. Second, he, uh, he elucidates his distinction between intuition and intelligence, since intelligence is no longer the focus here. Understanding and intelligence, they are no, he wants intuition. Third is, he wants to explain what analogy means. It certainly does not mean for him allegory. Mm -hmm. Allegory is too close to the sensible syntax and logic and understanding. Four and five are further comments on adjectives and adverbs, uh, that they are fundamentally too explanatory, too decorative, and too musical. That's why they have to go. Explanatory, decorative, and musical, gone for those main go. reasons. Six, furthermore, on the uh, mathematical signs. Seven, says some more about punctuation. And uh, in particular, capital letters and spaces. What sure. they, he's happy with those. And eight, the acceptance of a cacophonous uh, style and a rejection of the harmonious. I know that's a lot to take on board. Yes, yes. But I think that works very well if you're not going to read these manifestos. Mm -hmm. I think it actually helps you get along. It should hopefully be uh, uh, clear, though, only a few of them are really about grammar, and most of them, when they are about grammar, like are, are rejections. It's actually a simplification of language, and then the rest of it is a subtle sort of, you know, he wants to big up the noun. That should be immediately apparent. Yeah, he, he seems to be very into stripping away um, structure and meaning. as Well, he kind of rejects meaning altogether, but... Mm. Um, yeah, I think let's 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 get into the first one. Let's get into the yes. first one, and then we can we can see the rest. As it, I think as it so, happens. and then we'll bring um, where where are we in poetry a little bit in this moment? So at this moment, okay, uh, in terms of uh, the Anglo-speaking world and uh, a sort of continent where you sort of French-speaking and sure. Italian. So uh, you've got you're in the back end of decadence and symbolism. Mm -hmm. Uh, that you were getting from the sort of uh, 1870s onwards. Sure. Uh, you know, lots of writers like Rimbaud uh, uh, and uh, Malamé. Yeah. And there's probably also some influence from theatres mm -hmm. uh, with symbolism. Uh, but uh, Of it, course, as we know, the paintings too. Mm. Know, we abjure our symbolist masters Absolutely. and all that. Yes, mm -hmm. see that. We've got that on there. <laughs> see that from a previous episode. But we're really looking at, uh, in one sense, it's actually deeply symbolist because these, especially when we get to uh, like number five, the nouns and their double, which I'll just read out now, actually. Why, why not? Every noun must have its double, which is to say every noun must be immediately followed by another noun with no conjunction between them to which he is related by analogy. For example, man, torpedo, woman, bay, crowd, surf, pizza, funnel, door, faucet. Mm -hmm. So each of these are meant to be a single concept, but it's meant to be almost estranged from itself. And this is somewhat reminiscent of symbolism, where you've got these vehicles for ideas, where they, the idea itself 
is not the vehicle, but it's meant to represent the vehicle. So there's something about that that is symbolic. Mm -hmm. But you've also got an adoration of the city with people like Baudelaire. They're suddenly looking into the city in a dark and grimy way. Sure. But, but f which is something that the futurists like with their noctambulism and so yeah. on. But I also mean formally, what's happening formally. So I think forms are, are being shaken up even before this futurist shakeup. No, I mean, free verse is already a... A Three thing that's, that's kind of happening. Mm. Um, so it's not a very formally, I guess, constrained moment, right? Things have started to to get to loosen a little bit. It's loosening a little bit. It's still quite early, though. Mm -hmm. uh, especially in the Anglo world, it's not really until about a decade later that it really pushes through by people like through with people like Eliot with Prufrock, who's published in you know some of the Vorticist work and with Pound. You've got imagism later on and things like that. That's where they really start to become strange. And then by the 1920s, you know, you've got the publication of Ulysses, mm -hmm. where you've got a whole chapter that has no punctuation. So this is, this is 10 years earlier, mm -hmm. and he's already rejecting that. So I think, I think it's, an, it's, an, it's important to kind of place it in that, mm. in that context, um, because this, this really is a, a serious departure yeah. from even that. Oh yeah, no. It, this is right. this is really early when, so this when is, we give the yeah, yeah yeah. This is like a serious departure from from all form really in in poetry and in literature. It's very strange what they do. I mean, this is not a rejection of like uh, a, a romanticism or a neo romanticism. This is far more. Mm -hmm. He's rejecting free verse, uh, as you'll see in the difference between the two uh, uh, manifestos here. In the first one, he gives examples from. Uh, Mafarka, the futurist, an African novel. And he says, here we've got the nets of images that we want. We get these, you know, tumbling analogies. But the form but the is still... The is, syntax is... Yeah, yeah, it's all still there. You've actually got adjectives, adverbs, yada, yada, yada. And so he says, like, he actually, you know, beseeches uh, futurist poets who followed him this far. He says at the end of this first manifesto, please, 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 we have to move away from this. And in the second one, the response to objections, he gives an example of a work that was up, at that point still unpublished, which actually demonstrates how it should work, which is just full of nouns and is a yeah, far it's, more abrasive it's, it's literature. A, it is. And we'll have a, a snippet of that a bit later mm. on. But, but the, contextually, so yeah. it's, I guess it's, for the first one, it's, imp it's imperative to destroy syntax and scatter one's nouns at random just as they are born. Yeah, and then the second, it's imperative to use verbs in the infinitive, no, to try yes. to get rid of the I. I I think this one, the, those two, and of course, getting rid of adjectives and adverbs, alongside placing the like all all to to get the noun, uh, I guess in its purest form. Yeah, are are what I think are the most important. It's almost Features as if he this. wants to take like objects at their rawest. Yeah. He doesn't want any kind of frills attached to it. He uses words like, I mean, in our translation, uh, uh, we've got words like... Which is by, by Lawrence Rainey, Lawrence by Rainey. the way, yeah. not Mr. Brain. No. Uh, uh, we've got shadings, dynamic vision, and also problems around the idea of a unity of tone, a kind of monotony that creeps in, as well as a pause, a meditation. I think, I think it's, it's interesting. He's not happy with any of these. He wants no. it immediate. It's the slap and the punching fist. He wants it to be in its most primal, 
He wants it to be, uh, but it almost it's almost not just it's no not, garnish. No, but it's so that's what I was thinking. Uh, that I I thought immediately, okay, sure, okay, this this sounds like almost like a Hemingway style prose where yes, I everything so, yeah, is yeah. very you know stripped back. stripped back and it's very punchy and it's very direct and very clean, um, which I tend to often agree with. I mean, mm. Usually adjectives are horrible uh, and adverbs are their weird limping cousins. And most people's work, probably, especially mine, I'm sure, too, would always do better with less of them. Like, with you, fewer you, of them. With, yeah. <laughs> no one can, uh, <laughs> Unbelievable. Ugh. See, it's that type of pedantry that keeps yeah. people coming back to the podcast. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. With Actually, fewer it doesn't matter them, now. No, but, um, it, but it, nonetheless, it doesn't. I still, both are, both still, are, yeah. Both are perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Um, but so are adjectives, I and mean, they're wrong. No, well, I mean, usually, usually, fewer uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, of them can clean up your work and make it punchier and brighter. That's not his problem. That's not really Marinetti's issue. Mm. Um, he doesn't want a scaled-back Hemingway-style no. American prose or something. I I got the feeling, especially with punctuation, yeah. that he wants to get rid of it. Merely because it slows you down. But, but that's yes. it. The, yes, it's like, yes, yes. It's, it's literally just to do with speed <laughs> for him. Yeah. Which I find really funny somehow. It, it, I mean, it, it, makes, it makes perfect sense, but it's... I mean, no, no, it's, I think it's it not is just to, to just crystallize the image. I mean, sure, but really, it slows you down. That comma, that comma is just a, an opportunity for your brain to pause, where it shouldn't be pausing, it should be going faster. But this ties in with what he then goes on to develop in the second one, which is the difference between the intuition and intelligence. Mm-hmm. And he just he wants to get rid of understanding. He wants sure. to get rid of intelligence. You're not supposed to comprehend this work in any kind of way. It's not got like an overt plot uh, that you're meant to take away. Um, and so things like punctuation and pauses, you don't want that. That gives you time to think. Mm-hmm. You know, this is Hamlet. Why doesn't he kill himself? You know, because he thinks. He thinks. Thus, you know, uh, acts of great pith and moment. You and know? Had he not, had he not yeah. thought, he would have saved us all. To die, a to lot sleep, to a yeah. chance to dream. And he's like, ah, and there's the rub. Yeah, he should have just done it. Yeah. <laughs> just done it. Get on with it. Exactly. Yeah. We wouldn't have had any of that nonsense. But it's, but, but, but it's interesting because I think it's, it's his reasons for getting rid of Bought and um, could have killed Claudius. So, but I mean, him getting rid of of what a lot of people tend to see as garnish. Yes. Um, he does it for strange reasons, not just to kind of boil down your prose into like a a, a demi glass of ideas, but like mm. to to make you go faster and maybe to get you closer to that vital coursing spirit, I guess, of of creation that futurists want to tap into. And, I mean, he, he, he says it, he says it immediately, and he, he says it pretty directly at one point, um, about becoming the one with the universe, but... No, I, I, I'm go- I want to add on a little bit more to that, because I think mm-hmm. that's absolutely right. Um, I don't think it's just about speed. He likes the speed, but why does he like speed? We've been talking about this raw energy and this kind of well, niche they, they thing like, in our they like ones. speed. They like speed, but, they but kind of kind of movement and motion itself. Matter in and motion. That's, what they want. that's yeah. the, but that's they want the, the motion. 
Not, not, not even so much the matter, but the movement itself. See, I think, I, I think actually this manifesto reveals something new mm-hmm. that's a subtlety, which is actually that it's not even about being matter in motion as such. It's actually about the sensation of matter. Sure. Of, the of sensation matter, yeah. of metal. The feelings of metal insofar as whatever that means. Wh- what does that mean? He, he completely rejects, by the end of it, he rejects, he says, this is not about a human being personifying metal. Yeah. This is actually a kind of estrangement from the human being, and I, I, I can't really understand what he means. It must be some sort of personification of... The feeling of matter, you're right, he must say but that. But he, yeah. he is very, very clear about it, and it's, uh, this is the key line. Be careful not to assign human sentiments to matter, but instead to divine its different governing impulses, its forces of compression, dilation, cohesion, disintegration, its heaps of molecules massed together, or its electrons whirling like turbines. There is no point in creating a drama of matter that has been humanized. It is the solidity of a steel plate which interests us as something in itself which is incomprehensible and inhuman cohesion of molecules or electrons which can resist penetration by a howitzer. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is what he's looking for. Mm-hmm. And he says that the heat of a piece of iron or wood leaves us more impassioned than the smile or tears of a woman. We want to, uh, literature to render the life of a motor. Yeah. He's looking... Uh, but this is actually where it becomes super strange, Right. And I think this is where we get the, the thickening of the idea of the hybrid human or the machine man. Mm-hmm. Um, which is that... Uh, he, yes, he, the, the, he has lyrical, this... the lyrical obsession with matter. Yes. But yeah, it, it, that's weird. So he's, he's got this new concept, like that the, there's, there's some sort of experience of matter that it's not... It, obviously, it can't be an eye because it's not meant to be human. And so we have to sort of not be human anymore. We have to move towards something else. It's very strange, very well, there's, different. There's, there's this... And actually, actually this, this, whole, this whole text is, is very strange. Like yes. That. And it's, I mean, the, the, the ending of it is particularly strange to mm-hmm. me. It's, it, it's the same... Do you want to same, make it now? Because there's a yeah, little bit I want, more. I want to want? make it... No, I want to make it yeah, now yeah, because okay. it, it means this... It leads to this exactly. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, the end goes like this. Futurist poets, I've taught you to hate libraries and museums in order to prepare you for the next step, to hate intelligence, reawakening in you divine intuition, the characteristic gift of the Latin races. It goes on a bit like this. Now, by means of intuition, we shall overcome the seeming irreducible divide that separates our human flesh from the metal of motors. After the reign of the animal, behold the beginning of the reign of the machine. Through growing familiarity and friendship with matter, with scientists... Can only know in its which scientists can only know in its physical and chemical reactions. We are preparing the creation of the mechanical man with interchangeable parts. We will liberate man from the idea of death and hence from death itself, the supreme definition of the logical mind. So I think that kind of juxtaposition between the reign of the animal, hating intelligence, but the reign of the animal and then to the machine is exactly the same as as what you were just saying. Yeah. Well, this right. is, it's it's this that is same thing. juxtaposition between, on the one hand, wanting to capture the animalistic energy of existence, kind of, and wanting to tap into it, but also 
wanting to reconcile that with the completely cold future that that they love so much with with inanimate objects but there's a vivacity to them sure but they're trying to animate these inanimate things yeah and but without personifying them which i say that's how the strange can you do part. it you sort of but, have to but, but they, they do it anyway the electrons and things he mentions that but, but they, but they try to do it anyway i mean the, the the serpents you know the galvanic serpents with the galvanic breath no, but that was zoomorphic and i think that was when they were at their best well right but but there's this he wants to then move away hard. from the animal then away from the human mm-hmm. He just wants to have words that are about the hue, uh, about the machine. But I think that might be one of the inherent tensions of, of futurism, anyway. That e- e- the zoomorphism is almost a trick. Well, we're three years old. There's a slight we have to remember, nineteen oh nine is when that first one goes out. We're now in, uh, nineteen. Well, we're nineteen eleven actually, but mm-hmm. no, we're not. We're nineteen twelve. Nineteen twelve. There's so we are three years. It might sure. have had some development in that time. Yeah, but a lot of these ideas. For Marinetti, at least, have been there for a while. I mean, and his, he does explicitly make first, mention. Sure, I mean, his first novel. Method. He doesn't disavow it at any his point. His first novel in what is it, nineteen oh eight, already yes. has these ideas. Mm. Um, kind of is hidden. Is that the Mafarka? I think it is. Well, that, maybe that's yeah. Around then, Mafarka, the future is kind of um, overlaps with the first manifesto. Mm. So there's this, there's this inherent tension between these two things, no? between the machine world and and a lively one. But see, I think it... That, it, it, that they're struggling to, to reconcile. And here, he wants to get rid of it. In the end, of course, he wants the machine man. But one what that is, is the machine entirely man? machine and energy. Interchangeable parts. He was almost... Uh, he's almost Spinozist at the end there. You know when Spinoza mentions at the end of... That if you have like a certain amount of knowledge, it's true knowledge, that's what lives on after you, after mm-hmm. you die. That's how you gain a certain Im- uh, immortality. You read out there, suddenly we get a mention of overcoming death. Yes. I think that's the closest you kind of get strange. to it. Very yeah. strange. He doesn't make any mention of that in the text previously, nor does he mention it in the response to objections. No, he seems to welcome death otherwise. Mm. Well, I have more on that. But before that, I would like to say, because it's actually a little bit further, because we, we started off by saying, like, you know, what does he get rid of? He gets rid of the syntax. He's all pronouns. He wants to... Uh, not pronouns... Pro, now he's four, four nouns. nouns. Yes, uh, verbs, in, uh, infinitive verbs, no adjectives, no uh, adverbs, blah blah blah, no punctuation. Interested in mathematical symbols and then uh, rich change of uh, chains of analogies. But this is where he becomes very strange. Um, it's where he actually says uh, where he plays upon the link between the intuition and intelligence that he then develops later on. Sure. But he says it more in the first one which is that profound intuitions of life linked together one by one, word by word, according to, to their illogical surge, these will give us the general outlines for an intuitive psychology of matter. So th- how do you actually get to this sensation of matter? This is where he gets strange, okay? Because um, he, he, he thinks, you know, you have to actually, the only way to do it is to break away from the ordinary uh, 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 syntax, grammar, Logic. You need to move away from that. And uh, it, it's so strange. Um, Together we will discover what I call the wireless imagination, he says. Mm-hmm. One day we will achieve an art that is still more essential. So the wireless imagination is what he's currently said. It's the one that is these bold analogies. It's the one that is uh, full of these images and rejected of all of these things. But he still doesn't think it's quite enough. There's still something that is beyond the wireless imagination, and that is 
the day when we dare to suppress all the first terms of our analog uh, analogies in order to render nothing other than an uninterrupted sequence of second terms. To achieve this, it will be necessary to forego being understood. It mm. isn't necessary to be understood. We have already dispensed with the privilege anyway, even when we were, uh, have written f uh, fragments of a futurist sensibility by means of a traditional and inter uh, intellective syntax. So this is where I think he becomes very new, mm -hmm. which is actually that what he's put forward here is not only uh, like a, 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 you know, make it new, as Ezra Pound would say, to make art interesting, but he's also suggesting like a, a far more novel psychological change, which is that if you do what he's doing, what he's suggesting, if you start to use what we'll come to in, uh, uh, as an example in Objections. that noun-heavy uh, way, that's your best way of freeing yourself from this kind of human psychology and towards the wireless imagination. And then beyond that is where you actually get into this totally cut off. These are the secondary analogies. These are the analogies of analogies where you're totally, you're, you're so distanced mm -hmm. from what the object is, you don't need to be understood. And he somehow thinks that that is what it is. Now, this is actually, he, he thinks basically you need to be sort of unconscious for this. He says that it's the intuition, not sure. the intellect. We'll see later on, Dada and surrealism will pick this strand up. This is written in 1912. We'll see Dada and Surrealism pick this strand up. But instead of thinking that by using techniques, which he calls words in freedom for this whole mm -hmm. system of getting rid of the adjectives, get, doing that, you know, that's all words in freedom for him. That is the unconscious. That's the stream of consciousness. They will actually see that. Instead of it getting you towards a kind of machine sensibility, they'll think that either gets you towards a chaos for Dada, mm -hmm. Of roughly speaking, or the subconscious for the surrealists. But for him, why does he think that it'll get you towards a kind of machine sensibility? He never explains why he thinks that. He just says, it will happen. If you do this, if you use these techniques of words in freedom, destruction of syntax, etc., etc., uh, wireless imagination, imagination without strings, yeah. gets you towards machine sensibility. You, you somehow transcend your humanity via an illogic, an unlogic, and just heavy nouns as if that's it's interesting. What. It's interesting because in another way one would think it would do precisely the opposite, right? That, mm. that stripping away all the syntax and having these free-form associations yeah. would get you early 20th century psychology, right? It would, it would, get, you, it would get you just the impressions of the author one rapidly as they come, associations and so on. I'm so glad you said this. But, but... Wait, wait, hold on, sure. just, you said free-form associations. Yes. Why are... You've got these, uh, you've got these analogies mm -hmm. and uh, metaphors and similes, and then he says in the second one that really he wants to, you know, you know, he's not happy with allegory because precisely that's a kind of extended metaphor. It still gives a sense of cohesion. No, you want to mix your metaphors. You want to get as far away as possible from it. Why is that then free association? By the way, by the way just briefly, uh, this podcast does not condone the mixing of metaphors. No. You were saying. So I will give a fun yeah. one, though, <laughs> uh -huh. uh, just because I thought about what is a mixed metaphor? For listeners at home, here's a fun one from Yes Minister. Um, the PM uh, doesn't want to rock the boat until it's in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> and they come back with, Horrible. you don't put boats yeah. in bags. 
Yeah, that's horrible. precisely what Marinetti wants to sort of do in yeah, a kind of you know uh, you know Alice in Wonderland downward spiral of um, of association. But so why so is it free why, association then? Why is it free association? He precisely will reject that. Sure, that it's free association. Surely he must. He hopes that it's actually there's something about human psychology that will actually get you towards sensibility of machine, machine or matter. Let's think about it the other way. Because maybe the other way around... It, Do you this, see why I bring this up? No, of course, but let's think about it the other way around. Rather, what, <clears throat> what about syntax and metaphor and literary devices as we understand them, your kind yep. of meat and potatoes conventional mm-hmm. way, which is pretty similar now as then. What about it makes impossible or very difficult expressing what Marinetti wants to express? A great question. I've I think it's actually, the other way I've around. I've not actually considered this one. Mm-hmm. Why, why can't you actually achieve machine sensibility through it? Exactly. I think, and I think it... I mean, he gives his reason for why he doesn't like them, but it doesn't seem to suggest why it can't get used to machines. He gives it, it says too much sensi- uh, uh, too much uh, well, shaking, because, hmm. too much meditation, too much unity of tone. I think it's because of the way he must conceive of... Of machines and matter, he must inherently think that it it is somewhat chaotic. Or maybe it's just the un, un uh, the, the the fact that they're nonsensible. I guess yes, but also it takes us back to this what I perceived as a tension. Maybe it isn't as a tension between uh, kind of the animated and maybe animation itself. Mm-hmm. as that vital speed movement that futurists are so so interested in capturing and which which is a weird almost impossible thing to say and machines inanimate things yeah. and they're bridging these two gaps and i i think i think it's it gets it's us mystical it's mystical but it, it gets us back to that to that same problem in our very first manifest when we looked at the very first one yeah. we detected a strand of some sort of mystical thing like that sense of the absolute of the void of time and space as these more general and potent categories and we're getting it again here we'd lost it a little bit with talk, by talking about things like you know people and uh, painting I think the words is where it comes back, especially from Marinetti. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think so. I think so. We're definitely getting it back. It's a good one. <laughs> it is. Sorry to no, pause. It's, it's it's sorry. Yeah, I knew I'd get you with this one. It is a good one. Yeah. It is a good one. Brand new, eh? Yeah, it's to do... It's that, that same tension. This will, is the heart of futurism in Marinetti's trying to translate. eyes, isn't it? This yeah, is it the, is. This is the most potent bit of it. Yeah. The most expressive. It's not like, oh, just read the first one. You need to see the other ones to actually see how it really evolves and comes together. And there's something that is slightly dark. And it's not about raw violence. It's, I think it's something about... It's this intuition. It's this lack it's, of understanding. It's almost, it's almost as if he's, it's almost as if he's trying to, to kind of capture the soul. And he, he, finds, he finds that, that maybe in machines, in their newness and their speed and their violence and so on, the soul is more easily discernible somehow than in than in the squishy, fleshy things of of, of human. Yeah, I think it, humans. But it it really it really is like about about that that kind of animation itself. Yeah, and how do you get to it? Uh, all of you futurist poets who have loved and followed me until now have been frenzied builders of images. 
and bold explorers of analogies, just as I have. But the narrow nets of metaphor are, unfortunately, too weighed down by the plumb lines of logic. I urge you to make them lighter so that your immense, immensified gesture can hurl them far, farther, cast them out over a vast expanse of the ocean. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not even that you have to really break it all down. But that's, but that, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And it, it, really, it really feels... I guess let's put on our, our um, artist hats yes. for a minute. Wait, hold on. Are we artists of, uh, uh, at the, the time, time? At the, at the time. time. Yeah. You, have a, you have a mustache that you're constantly twirling. Yes. Uh, I've just come out from the coffee shop with my uh, coffee and absinthe. I've read this. No, 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 Th- no Thomas. At the time. <laughs> yeah. This is a very potent one. Yeah. If, uh, can, I, uh, can I just make a distinction? Sure. If I've read this at the start of the free verse one, of the anthology of free verse... And then I flip and this... I just find the free verse, I'd be upset. Yeah, I would <laughs> be upset. I would be upset. This is a strangely recurrent theme as well in terms of a lot. Like, um, this happens with lyrical ballads where they talk about, like, yes, we want to have the language of the, the, of, of the ordinary person. And then it starts off with the rhyme of the ancient mariner, which is this really dense... A mystical language by Coleridge. No wonder Wordsworth then throws it to the end mm-hmm. in the second version. And again, you've got it here. You've got a preface that so doesn't does it, seem to match with your free how, how does it feel? How does it feel then? Is it, is it, that is would it be exciting to you? Would it be I, exciting? On its own, I think, uh, as a pamphlet, on its own, yes. it's exciting. Yes, I think this is, Not as a preface, on its own. On its own, this is exciting. I yeah. think this has excited you again. It has, it's wonderful. Yeah, especially when seeing, like, you know... Because the, I guess the, you, the you, try to, you try to think, you try to think, especially in poetry, especially in poetry, mm. what, does, what does poetry try to do? At least sometimes, sometimes you try to capture an image. You try to, yeah. try to show something, to make something happen. But it's to do with very abstract, strange images with words, right? Where sometimes it's not quite an image, the image morphs into something else conceptually, almost onomatopoeically without, you know, not, 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 even, not even visually. Mm. So, so here it really unbinds everything. Well, now, he I, mocks I don't know Voltaire if, for it. He, he sure, now, says, I, like, I don't know if it would work. Philosophical dictionary yeah. is just like you have to collect your images. No, no, no. You don't. That you have to use and, them and also they are brutal. Why must they be you images always? Them. I mean, well, for Marinetti, they almost always are images. Yes. I mean, he, he really is very visual. They also, have to be because of the nouns, Also musical. Right? Also musical. I mean, yes. Zang, tum, tum, and boom, yeah, bang. Yeah. They like onomatopoeia. They like onomatopoeia. They like noise. You know, they, they like, like these noise. things. But it does open up possibilities, right? And it, it, you, feel, it, you feel it. I don't know how much of it you can really read. It's, but it's such a brave thing. I just I want think, to go back I think to the theory a, a little bit this more. Is a moment, Don't you think yeah. it's brave? Like, Very we, brave. We start off with, you know, talking about getting rid of the adverb, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 getting rid of the syntax. Okay, okay, okay. Get rid of punctuation. But then you really see this idea that this is an attempt at trying to bridge a gap. Talk about something that there are no words to talk about, mm-hmm. which is the sensation of machines. Yeah. This is a radical thing. It is. It is. And you also, can get bogged down in just thinking like, okay, well, that's cool. It's a technical manifesto. It's going to tell me like, you know, the specific rules. No, the theory really cuts through here. Yeah. This it, is one of the boldest things that they've said so far, I think. I have two ideas I want to express. One of them is less interesting than the other. The first one is there's a moment where he talks about the, the garlands. I'm using the wrong words. The garlands and garnishes of of old art yes. or of traditional art. I think he uses the word traditional. Mm-hmm. And 
of artifice, and I think he, he, I don't know if he talks about theater there, or I thought he of theater. He doesn't talk about theater. Yeah. I thought of it a bit, because also in theater, and this takes a little bit longer to happen, but there's a similar move towards getting, getting, getting rid of, of these extra accoutrements and of making you believe you're somewhere. There's a moving away from naturalism and even of fantastical to like a black box, very stripped down theater of poverty, as it's called, kind of. Uh, uh, but that's point? much later on, uh, what, in the 70s. In the seven, 1970s? Yeah. And I mean, this probably happens over a longer period of time in the yeah. 60s. And in a way, maybe even like Brecht has moves towards that, yeah. where they get rid of, uh, of naturalism, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one is you tempted you know to that think... I've been reading Brecht. Yeah, yeah, one, yeah, one is tempted to think that he's doing something similar with poetry, and maybe he is, that there is some boiling down happening... And one can almost see it as, as puritanical, and I'll tell you why in a second. Mm-hmm. But really, I think he's trying to, to get down to the soul, to animation. So try to make sense of that for a second. And what's the follow-up? Well, the, fo- the follow-up is I was, uh, I was reading a, a book by Jessica Riskin about the endless debate in science to do with whether or not things have agency or are animated, really. Uh-huh. in any way, and whether to introduce that agency in an explanatory form when we try to explain different phenomena. And that sometimes if you do give things agency, it makes things a whole lot easier rather than thinking merely mechanically. And way, way back in the day, there used to be automata, so these beautiful, strange machines that clockmakers made uh-huh. for churches, and they would swoop down, and sometimes it would be the devil, and it would wake up and move around. And when the Puritans came in, they hated them because they thought, clearly these things are trying to fool you. But they weren't really trying to fool anyone. Everyone knew they were fake. It was, yeah. it was obvious. And that made me think of the theater. And that now makes me think a little bit of this. Marinetti doesn't like formal constraint that seeks to imitate the world. He wants to do away with those imitations and get to the heart of the matter. But wait, what's or the relation? Does he want to get? Would you think that he would want to get rid of something like the automata? No, no, I, I, don't, I don't. I don't think. I don't think so. I, I think. I think. I, I used to think, upon reading this at the beginning, that it might have been a similar puritanical impulse, mm. trying to get rid of the automata, trying to get rid of the decorations. Yeah. But I don't think that's what he's doing at all. I think he's trying to multiply the decorations, kind of infinitely and unbind them from syntax in a way. Because it, it, and, but and he's narrowing down what he's happy with for, yes. for decorations, which are things like the nouns, but then we get these very complex relations. No, exactly, exactly. Which but he calls intuition, but, uh, and he says it's a destruction of syntax. I think it gets... Re- I'm putting my cards on the table. Sure. I believe that this is just another form of syntax that you're going to get here. Mm-hmm. Like when you do read... As I did, like that section at the end of... Uh, so just as a brief uh, 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 explanation of how the structure of a, re- uh, uh, a response to objections is. The first half is about just actually delineating various new declarations and supplementing them, mm-hmm. as was mentioned at the beginning. Then the second half is him actually giving an example of the work. And that... that Bizarre? Yeah. Well, when you read it... Well, I think, I think When what, you read it, you're... Mm-hmm. you're, you're you, you're, he's saying that it's a destruction of syntax. There's an initial agony when you're reading, say, the first half of the page. I got it. 
And it's so abrasive. We will give you an example in a bit. Yeah. But uh, then once you get through a certain point, which for me was the first half, you do actually start to see it or feel it in a different way. Feeling is probably better for him, but I would say it's just a replacement syntax. It's a brand new one or some more fundamental one or something like sure. that. It's an offshoot. I it may still be ambiguous, but uh, hail normal syntax is ambiguous anyway. It is. I think. I think what what this has started me thinking though, um, like is, prepositional phrases. Sorry, I just want to give an example. No, no, yep. it can can be very ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. Syntax is, is not at all clear. Yeah. What what I think what this has what this has me thinking though, is that we have a tendency to associate all of the art of a period. I guess with movements it might get a bit easier, and they start to do it themselves. But we tend to associate the art of uh, all the arts of a period together, right? We think of Baroque literature, and when you think of Baroque literature, you think of Baroque architecture, and then you think of Baroque music, and and we kind of yeah. tend to associate them as if they were all part and parcel of the same thing. Mm. I don't think so anymore. I think that each medium is really fundamentally different, and a verbal description of I don't know very ornate chiseled work is not the same thing at all as that chiseled work and i think futurist stuff or at least marinetti stuff feels a little baroque do you mean like uh the manifestos to what they're talking about or even because we've got manifestos on a bit of a bit of both i mean he, on he painting on sculpture i think on i theater, think on music i think his manifesto his manifestos and and then maybe even the the work that he makes, it's 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 very representational, right? Even even the the next stuff, the the really free stuff, still feels really representational to me. It's full of images. Mm. Um, he likes to kind of garland his declarations and his work with lovely pictures and they're potent, different they're things. powerful. They He's are. A, he is a rhetorician. They are, but but it's it's wonderful. He's you know? not just a you know some sort of blunt. Uh, you know, Enlightenment writer, which can happen. Some of it can be very bloody dry, mm-hmm. really dry. No, it? no, it's very, it's, it's it's very juicy. His but is yeah. his, his is juicy. It comes alive. It has the same potency that, that you know that his ideas do. Mm-hmm. That's something you know, nothing to be sniffed at. Really, no, no, it isn't. Yeah, but yeah. So this is something slightly different. It's more of a general feeling. I think it's detectable in the previous manifestos that we've looked at, but I don't know. I, I just felt it overwhelmingly in this one. And, you know, so much of the time when I've been doing the pithy summaries, we've, you know, I've been messing around a little bit, you know, presenting it in this jovial way as if they're spoilt brats some of the time. But I wanted to go back and, and to try to understand why he wants to, you know, under, uh, you know get to this sensation of the machine. And perhaps it's, it again ties into this idea of psychology that seems to underlie it, which is that then and then perhaps they're not being different for the sake of being different. They're not rebels without causes. They're not, they're not just saying like, oh, we hate all of the people before us. Mm-hmm. We, you know, in like, we abjure our symbolist masters. Just because, yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, because in Let's Kill the Moonlight and... Uh, and um, and other uh, uh, other manifestos escape me now, uh, where they praise people like Wagner and uh, 
uh, and uh, Malamé, you know, they, they show great love. They love Rodin. They love Michelangelo. And let's assume that they really do love them. Mm-hmm. So why are they rejecting them now? What is it? Is it just that they're spoiled brats kicking against it, wanting to assert themselves in the face of those who were dead before, you know, before them? You know, we, you know these museums, they're just graveyards. They're just mm-hmm. Perhaps it's not that. Let's take it seriously for a moment uh, when they say that they really did appreciate them. Maybe this is actually an underlying point about, uh, or presentation of a particular kind of human psychology where a bit like a joke that you really used to love, you used to laugh, you heard it the first time, you laughed like a drain. Second time again, third time. By the 15th time, 20th time, you're not laughing anymore. More than that. I used to laugh. Yeah. Perhaps you even, uh, perhaps because you loved it so much, you even think like, I'm slightly annoyed. You know, the familiarity is bred contempt. Like, I remember what it used to do for me and it no longer does it. And that's just a brutal fact. It no longer does this. I can't appreciate this anymore in the same way. I wish I could. I remember the pleasure that I took in it. And so now I have to go forward. And I just... Uh, d- there, were, there were certain bits when reading There's this... There's a bit where they, where they say that almost explicitly, isn't there, in this one? I, uh, you'll have to find... Maybe with something like art is a need to destroy and disperse oneself, a great gathering can of... Uh, a watering can of heroism that drowns the world. Uh, and uh, Maybe it's something like that. I mean, there are various areas yeah. but I, I just got that really sunk in with yeah, this one. It's, it's about it's about the, what, what the do you need. think though mm-hmm. of that do you think there's something to that or is it more like no 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 we're giving them too much credit sometimes they are inseparable I think those two things are inseparable because I think the youthful angry not particularly considered desire to supplant what came before and assert yourself mm. is an expression of a very real fear of death and of mm. a way of dealing with, with the inherent mortality Makes of everything. In this one, he sneaks it in including, at the end. Yeah, including the very, the very work that you're doing. The, the, the thing that, as an artist, is meant to be, if not permanent, capital P permanent, lowercase p permanent, it's meant to live on beyond you. It's something that you give life to that's out there. So I think it, it's, it's a natural impulse because it, it is non-trivial. I mean, we do die and then we are left with these... Now, is, well, some die and then we're left as living people with these towers of work, mm. you know, in a library or anywhere. And what do we do? What do you do with that? But if, but I wonder if it's, is it living? How do you make it living? What do you do with with mortality? But I, I think they still get that. I agree that I, I, I think that there is definitely something about this about a, a fear of mortality. But I think it's also a general thing mm-hmm. about uh, even if they lived forever, they would still suffer from some sort of malaise. So what? what is, it's what is almost that like a depression because. If, if we, uh, it's, it's really started to sort of hit me now with, you know, just beginning with the first Futurist Manifesto where they're, you know, sitting out inside a, like a place and then they sit and stand outside the place in the middle of the night and then they get in the car and they're charging along the street and they crash into a ditch. 
yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. You've got these moments where they're almost like, you know, loitering. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, Peter O'Toole's great autobiography title, Loitering with Intent. Yeah. And then here you've got him again in this, you know, he's again just caught in a moment. He's in an aeroplane and suddenly, instead of just looking outside the window, or rather, uh, not necessarily that there was a window, but just looking outside at things, he's there suddenly by the tank contemplating a new kind of, you know, uh, 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 syntax. So he thinks this, this Homeric one just won't do. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, I think that there's a... The, the, I get the sense that there's a real deep misery and just dissatisfaction and even hollowness. And a bit like the punks from 1975, where if you're mm-hmm. in like a council estate uh, under a, um, with nothing but, you know, black iron railings as, you know, your, your, your playground and you and your dad are both going, you know, to the job centre to collect the doll money. Mm. That's depressing. That's miserable. And then what do you find? You find a release, some sort of intensity in raw action, in passion, in aggression, in violence. And so often you mm. see this in different you know, subgroups today, this in, intense desire to not be yourself an intense desire to lose the self, to lose the I, to lose the ego. Mm. I mean, even the Bee Gees wrote a song, an early so Bee Gees you, song you is really... Don't Want to Live Inside Myself. He, why does he want to go to this machine sensibility? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it's not suddenly betraying a kind of a, a you know, he doesn't... Well, there, there, a, there, is, a there, is, a, there is a such a There is a suicidal core to this. Yeah. You know? I mean, the very dissolution of the I, as you just said, right? Is, uh, but we've not, not mentioned the malaise cheery. as a kind of a thing. You sort of it's, it's almost no, like it's a true. It's, we it's, or something, a, a disaffected youth. Yeah, we, that did love these great artists from the past and everything, but then for some reason, you know, like a joke that's no longer funny. They somehow find it, find it no longer, no well, longer you, working. What do you do? That you're sort of standing in front of this painting that is meant to bring you to tears, and somehow it doesn't. Mm. Right? How do you pass the time? This is a question that later writers like uh, well, let, let's so Beckett will. sure, sure. How do you pass the time? But but let's not yeah. go to pass the time. No, but this is how one do you way. aggression, right? Yeah, but it's not just pass the time. How do you make art? Now, but what's the point in art? Art is the need to destroy and disperse oneself. Exactly, there it is. That's the point. There you go. Yeah. That's so the, the point. need to make art is really just a it's 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 a channel for this self destruction, mm-hmm. according to Marinetti in this one. It's subtle. He sort of throws it away, but this is I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying to this. find I'm trying to find this this quote that I read here that is exactly exactly this. Which obvious, obviously I can't find it because it's exactly what we're looking for. Mm. Listeners, you may be surprised to hear this, but we actually try to limit the amount of planning that we have. We'll discuss what manifestos and say a little bit, but then we yes, try we think, not we to think say it, too much. We think it gives us a, a good amount of uh, spontaneity, yeah. but it also leads to, uh, <laughs> to, this. to, to this. yeah. Especially and, when you're so keen. And especially my, some, of the, uh, some of the half-baked but hopefully interesting thoughts that I've offered up to you all. That's good for us to pick this up as well in in the future. Uh, Because we've got one more after this. We've got the words in freedom, destruction of syntax, uh, 
Yeah, there's one more which he writes in 1913, which is going to be the one after this, where we will complete our literature uh, manifestos. But yeah, I think I think it is. I think I think it is this. I'm just going to add a yeah. little more here. Go on. There are no elements in this either of the absolute or the systematic. Genius has impetuous spurts and muddy torrents. Sometimes it requires analytical and explanatory languors. Nobody can renovate his own sensibility all at once. Dead cells are mixed together with live ones. Art is a need to destroy and disperse oneself, a great watering can of heroism that drowns the world. Obviously, this is born out of a kind of malaise and a feeling... Was it obvious? Because we haven't made it clear up till now. I mean, I say obviously the sentence I've just read. Yes. Okay. And I guess all revolution is born out of dissatisfaction, isn't it? Yeah, but then there's... Because there's a dissatisfaction of the spoiled brat who just wants to kind of, you know, me, 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 me. And then there's the one who actually doesn't necessarily feel that, but just their relationship to the world and the way that they see things. It's just a matter of fact. Yeah. That you can't actually carry on like that, and you have to sort of have, maybe not necessarily supplant, but something new in order to engage things. And perhaps he actually foresees that it's not so good to be human. Well, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. I mean, that might be the kindest reading of Marinetti we could possibly make, and it might be the right one. Well, when he says, like, you know, he see, foresees the destruction of, like, woman, which we've, you know, there are the manifest. He does. Yeah, he, yeah, you he know, does. We've, we've mentioned this, you know, like, contempt for women and things like that. And he says, eventually, you know, you won't need women for reproduction and things like that. But perhaps he, you know, in things like this, is he not betraying, actually, something about a loss of humanity altogether? He's looking for something new. Hmm. The human hybrid, as we've called it, but, you know, their words are something like the machine. Now, of course, of course he would, he would, he would, uh, he would think we're weak for thinking for thinking that there is anything affirming in humanity. Those vital energies in yeah in uh, in. I did want to bring back briefly the um, which we did already read, but that they want to he wants to eschew the need to be un- for everyone to eschew the need to be understood, mm. which I find kind of wonderful. Yeah, I mean, very, very, yeah, very, very radical. I mean, is he's, it, he's unconcerned with meaning. I'm, I'm going to push you here. Is it is it a step towards solipsism? People talking past each other, people not caring about what anyone else understands. Maybe, but then still, it's it almost always seems that so it often seems that steps towards solipsism end up making better art. I can't dis- necessarily disagree with that. I can't. No. I yeah. Okay. I, I see. I was actually because I was hoping that you were going to say yes. Um, yes, it is. Uh, but because I was going to sure. say like I don't even think he stops there because yeah. he wants that estrangement from the self. He does want a kind of unconsciousness, but he was happy to call sure. that intuitive. Now, to go to the second one, very briefly, we've already been yeah. touching on lots of bits of it because uh, it is a supplementary one. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've, we've touched on it a lot. I think the best way to go to the second one is to just read a segment of, of, of the end. I couldn't agree more apart from this little apart thing. Apart from all of it. No, yeah. apart from this one thing I'll say about the structure. The way that we lead in, we began the last one with him uh, on this plane ride and he has this meditative moment. Mm-hmm. And he, funny, he says or in the he manifesto, he, he hates pauses. He hates contemplation. But he has it there. He has this reverie. 
it, this one begins with him actually saying, I'm not going to refer to, you know, any of the humorous comments that have been made about my manifesto. I'm actually just going to treat the serious objections. Mm-hmm. This is the f- one of the first times that we see him really serious, I think. Okay, well now now you're just now you're just thinking now you're just thinking that he's very depressed and suicidal. Sorry, should I not read it out? Thinking, okay, I'll read yeah. it. I shall not reply to the jokes and countless ironic comments, <laughs> but to the skeptical questions and important objections which have been directed by the European press against my technical manifesto of futurist literature. That's the first line. God, it's almost like he cares this time. He cares. You know, it's almost like he, he actually he, cares this he time. He writes and, it a couple of months and after. Everyone, everyone read his journal. And yeah. They were really mean and yeah. mean about it. This know? one is the, this is the sore one. It's, we've touched on the nerve with this one, I suspect, because mm-hmm. he cares too much with this one. He has objections to the you know responses to the contempt when he's a bit more chilled about that. Yeah, he's, he seems. This yeah. is this is he's 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 touching. Uh, although he then published uh, very, I think the next day even. Mm. Uh, Another version of this, full of quote ironic comments. The so lady there, doth there, protest too much. There went so, that theory. No. The <laughs> lady doth protest too much is what I'll say to that. <laughs> Marinetti? No, no, no. I am treating it light. I am. Yeah, I am. Light. I'm cool. I'm yeah. still cool. Still ironic. Um, but he gives. He uh, finally we get a great example of what this new literature is meant to be like, mm. and it begins with. Battle, weight plus smell. And so, what? Uh, uh, so, give us, give us a little, a little selection of this. I have a, I have a, a bit. If you'd like, yeah, I'm gonna read one. Yeah, uh, you read one, and then I'll, I'll read one. Doggedness, hallways scream, labyrinth mattresses sobs, smashing down desert precision range finder monoplane gallery applause. Monoplane equals balcony, rose wheel drum, buzzing fly, greater than. Defeat Arab, ox, bloodiness, slaughter, wounds, refuge, oasis, humidity, fan, coolness. So that was really you, you, fast. Yeah, you picked that one. Oh, you picked the one that... Mm. But it's quite... It's also wanna, fast because it's meant to be Can you read it again? Quickly. Slower? Uh, yeah, but really accentuate it because I have a, a, a suspicion about this one. Doggedness, hallways, scream, labyrinth, mattresses, sobs, smashing down, desert bed, precision, range, finder, monoplane, gallery, applause. Monoplane equals balcony, rose wheel, drum. Buzzing fly, greater than Arab, defeat Arab, ox, blood, bloodiness, slaughter, wounds, refuge, oasis, humidity, fan, coolness. This, yeah. this is the thing is it's kind of I like it more than I care to admit. Mm. I I enjoy it more because it almost feels to me. Have you ever tried to write down an idea really really quickly? Yes. So you're out and about or whatever. Yes. And yes. just some images come to you, a broad narrative, and you write it down, and it's almost as if only you could really decode it. Mm-hmm. But in those words is so much, and so here. Doggedness, hallways, scream, labyrinth, mattresses, sobs, smashing. I mean, that, I, that, that to me is a whole, whole image. It's a full image. See, this happens it's, towards it's, the end. That section that you read it happens towards really the end. Sad. I think so. I, this <laughs> it's is what, really sad. I, I did say to you before, I had a suspicion that this one, because it begins with battle, weight, plus smell. And so, you but know. But precision, rangefinder, monoplane, gallery, applause. Wow. I, I get the feeling that this is then at, at, in like an infirmary, in a hospital. Oh, I near don't. Near death. I don't get that. Because before that, 
uh, I'm going to read out uh, uh, one section in full, and then I'll uh, pick some selections very briefly. So this is the section in full. <clears throat> Scouting parties, 200 metres, loaded to the brim. Forward march artilleries, swelling heat, fermentation, hair, armpits, drums, tawniness, blondness, breaths. Plus backpack, 18 kilos, forethought, equals sing, sing, scrape iron, money box, softness, three shudders, orders, rocks, anger, enemy, magnet, lightness, glory. And then, so we began with scouting parties, 200 meters loaded to the brim. And then as we skip through it, uh, random selections, scouting parties, 20 meters, battalions, ants, cavalry, frogs, skipping ahead again. Scouting parties, three meters, mix up, two fro, to stick, to unheap, uh, sorry, to stick to, wound fire, wound, and then suddenly, cannon, one, four, nine, elephant, artilleryman, man hoots. Although, mind you, do you, you realize that, that even in, in, in the sort of the way you're reading it, you're giving it narrative? Yes. Be, be yourself. That you're, you, yes, yeah. yes, yes, but I think that this is why he can't actually do it. Sure. He can't do what? Uh, he'll never get the full break, or this is... Sure, but but also in, in in the reading in the way one reads it, you can give it or give give narrative or take away, which is which is interesting. But I I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Well, I think by his own lights and his own admission, this is not an example of the one that is his ideal, which is the entirely second secondary analogies, the ones that are two steps away where yeah. you've totally lost it. He says that he's not there yet. He says, after Oh, well, no strengths. one's ever there yet. Yeah. That's the but one that's yeah. totally devoid. That's where you've completely lost sure. that. He thinks that he's still got some sort of connections, even though there doesn't have to be like... It's not a fable. It's not like Animal Farm, where you can, you know, like, oh, the animals, and they're on a farm, and you can actually tell the relationships and things like that. You're not, you've not got that here. You've not got that here. You've got random mm -hmm. things being thrown in. You've got smells. You've got. Uh, I think that's what the battle weight plus smell at the very beginning yeah. is to suggest. It's to give you a little bit of an anchor, uh, or rather a platform, not an anchor. But perhaps a platform is better. Yeah. And then you can sort of have these things play on the stage. But whether they are, you know, is he, you know, or rather, is this, you know, is he presenting someone who's been injured? I mean, that's what I Maybe. sort of felt mm -hmm. with the, you know, after all of that stuff where they're getting closer and closer and then you suddenly get the, you know, uh, dog. Uh, actually, there's a beautiful bit just before that. Boom, boom, officer, whiteness, rangefinder, crossfire, ring, ring, megaphone, height, 4,000 meters left, face stop, everybody halt, troops dismissed, seven degrees, erection, splendor, pumping, piercing, immensity, blue woman deflowering. And that's where we lead into the dog. And, and that, that one's, especially that one's with quite the deflowering. clear. That one's quite clear, yeah. Horrible. But especially with the deflowering, I thought that, you know, okay, you could... It's a battle. I, yeah. That's a battle. So with the, with, the, um, uh, battle. with the dismissed, you could get the sense of, it's over now. We're, we're done. You know, they got closer, they finished the battle, they're now over. But with the deflowering or something, okay, it could be like um, the soldier has finished their yeah, first yeah, yeah. battle. But I also get the sense of maybe they've been injured. Especially with that next one of the, the, the scream. But it's so great. One of the things I'll observe in this whole thing, because it's two pages in the, um, uh, in the manifesto, depending on translate, but ours is two, uh, is that there's little repetition. Because he hasn't got connectives and conjunctions and things like that, there's very little in the way. There's no ands and that. And when there are ands, 
he uses hyphens to kind of turn them into this complex noun that's yeah. meant to be a single concept. It's it's kind of really surprisingly condensed. Like there is a lot of there is a lot of image and story packed into this page and a half. Does it convey thoughts? Is this sure. like a kind I mean, of thoughts in the middle of a battle? Is it also sure. the sensations? Is it just maybe it's not even thoughts? Maybe it's just kind of uh, phenomena that consciousness registers. At the same time, he's trying to portray but, but also, unified but, consciousness. But careful, but careful, because he's not into psychologism. So he doesn't no. want to give us a psychological portrait of whomever's... Of, of, of a narrator or of anyone. And I, no. I think that's part of the reason why he wants to do infinitives, right? As mm. opposed to anything else. To yeah. get rid of the be, I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because... Uh, yeah, yeah. He, 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 does, he, he actually explicitly despises um, that kind of, of novel. Mm, no, I, I, I can. Uh, yeah, can I just mention one yes, more go, thing? Yes, go for just it. One last thing. I know this is then, a little bit then of a step I'm going to have a, a strange little objection from someone else. Lovely. And then I think that that can be a, yeah, a wrap yeah, yeah. up. Um, so while while you find what you what you want, I just wanted to share this little bit of association he has. Siesta stripes germination, and there was another one where he talked about curvaceous liquefaction that I found. Yeah weirdly revolting it was cool they're great I images though terrible or like terrible sort great of image yeah hepatic sensations or something like that mm-hmm. um uh it's actually a, ro- a response to objection so the second one uh it's actually the second declaration where he uh further elucidates what he means by intuition and intelligence he makes it very clear like we, we, he says that intuition is the thing that he's looking for and actually not intelligence and we at times have slipped into talking about like an unintelligence, uh, mm-hmm. but they're not wholly opposed to one another. He says, I do not intend to speak of two domains that are distinct and wholly separate. Instead, he, he's actually very aware that in some sense there is some sort of mingling. He doesn't know where conscious thought moves into this realm of dreaming. Mm-hmm. And likewise, uh, uh, when... Uh, lucid thought, uh, sorry, uh, when uh, uh, this kind of unconscious thought turns into more willful feeling. He defines them very precisely, well, for him, mm-hmm. by intuition, I mean a state of mind almost entirely intuitive and unconscious. Nice, intuitive for intuition, lovely. Yeah. Um, but uh, unconscious, I think you can use this as a big one. By intelligence, I mean a state of mind which is almost entirely intellective and a product of the will. So he does, in the response, uh, offer some sort of a definition, even if it's not entirely clear still. But there is something that he does say that is very, very powerful, which is that the hand that writes seems to be separate from the body and freely leaves far behind the brain. So this is kind of intuitive automatism. This is what Dada and that's mm-hmm. But it's kind of, you know, the stream of consciousness, as we later call it which having itself in some way become detached from the body and airborne, looks down from on high with terrible lucidity upon the unforeseen phrases emitted by the pen. So he's almost got this kind of -of out-of-body experience. But then he asks, does this domineering brain look passively on, or does it instead direct the leaps of fantasy that excite the hand? It is impossible to know. In such moments I have observed from a psychological, uh, sorry, a physiological standpoint, little more than a great void in the stomach. So he is sort of, a, you know, open to the idea that perhaps, uh, uh, you know, uh, in its fundamental form, even something like intuition could be a kind of covert product of the will. 
or vice versa. Yeah, it's not entirely clear whether it, whether where. Yeah, where the will begins and ends, mm. and and also what it, what it is that isn't the will that is doing the thing that we think the will is doing. Yeah, to put it plainly. And I mean, the, the surrealists will start to talk about things like the subconscious or the unconscious mind, blah blah blah. But it's interesting that or Marinetti the, the collective unconscious it. Yeah. or this Jungian stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, we, so it's interesting to see how Marinetti, who's not interested in these ideas just yet, it's nineteen twelve, um, but. He is he's sort of aware that perhaps that's not so even if he is wrong about, you know, whether you could ever get into this totally intuitive state. Uh, I mean, he, he's kind of he right. He kind though. of I recognizes mean, that maybe you, you know, whenever you write anything if and we're it's to be going well, it really feels like that. Yeah. But if we're to be charitable, we have to think that sure. okay, all of this he's kind of aware that maybe it doesn't have to be this totally intuitive unconscious state. There is that kind of pull. I think that's what you were talking about again yeah. with this tension. There's always this tension that he is, he def- desperately wants to not be the I, but then at the same, and wants to be this mas- machine sensibility. And the best way to do that is via this intuition. But is that still, are we that's, not always trapped in human It's that same tension, isn't it? Between animated, you know, between inanimate and animated, between mm. I and. I guess vital force between they're 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 kind of at different levels of the same tension that seems mm. to be playing out all through through futurism. I think you could come away reading uh, from reading this and think that there's you know you you get with Marinetti something of quite a tragic picture of the human being. Yeah, you do. That you might not even be able to do all of this stuff, and really, even the, though you're compelled to. And even of the human condition and 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 of art's place in in human flourishing, if if that could even happen. But no, sorry, I just wanted to really mention of, that. That's a new yeah, one, right? and I guess we're going to move on further. No, no, that was good. We're going to, to move on further through the different movements, but this might be one of the kind of deepest, almost like, like that perennial skeptical challenge that lies in the back of every epistemology class. Mm. Um, that these demons can and sometimes do come back to haunt you, no matter what. So it'll be very interesting, yeah. The last thing I wanted to mention was a brief challenge by Alex, Alexander Doblin, who's this, um, the, the very famous book is Berlin Alexanderplatz. It's great. It's about a horrible murderer um, in the 20s. Great book. Mm-hmm. And the challenge there is that the reduction of art to the minute description of, thi- of individual things can... By devitalizing these things, approach the abstraction and formalism of the aesthetic movement supposedly already superseded. What do you think about that? Could you say it one more time? The reduction of art to the minute description of individual things can, by devitalizing these things, approach the abstraction and formalism of the aesthetic movement supposedly superseded. Ah, so okay. So by, by stripping down and focusing on these yep. really bare-bones descriptions, are we not going back to the same rigid formalism we supposedly dealt away with? But wait, hold on. Is, uh, uh, when saying it there, is that the presentation of the idea or the uh, theory that's put in as an alternative? Oh, no, 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 no. So, so, so here, here, this is It's a, the alternative. This is a criticism of, of Dublin's um, published alongside the... That's not a direct quote of it. It's a yeah. paraphrase. Published alongside the... 1913 translation of the objections in Der Strom in German. 
Well, we ask ourselves... Oh, actually, sorry, you asked yeah. it. Why, uh, why was language previously, with its rich syntax and its... Inadequate, right? Yeah, why was that inadequate? Why can't that get you... He doesn't say. No. He just... He, he doesn't say. I mean, we can try to think along Marinetti-style wavelengths and help him out, but it's not clear from him, his own work. And I think that's precisely it. You, you, this is um, the corollary of that, which is that, okay, fine, you want to have this stripped down. Why doesn't that... He, he almost needs to explain why this noun-heavy, um, uh, uh, minimal punctuation-laden, um, uh, onomatopoeic uh, kind of literature is precisely what will make better art, but also what will get you towards this sensation of the machine. Yeah, it's 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 difficult. I guess I guess we might have to end this episode on a question. Maybe that's what. Yeah, because uh, the next one is uh, uh, following on from that, where he actually directly addresses that. I laid this out. It will turn out that these first two, the uh, uh, technical manifesto and the response to objections, yeah. ends up being primarily, he means it for all literature, but ends up being primarily for poetry, he sees retrospectively. He sees that actually it's very difficult for an economist or a philosopher. He says, even my own manifestos, I can't state them in that stripped back way like we gave, you know, with the, you know, with the battle plus weight and, and smell. I can't do that. So is it not self-defeating as a, as a project for literature? See, we, we'll I, think, I think a better way to end this... Stri- so earlier on, listeners, um, uh, Thomas asked me while we were preparing the luxurious roast that we as podcasters eat every single night... Uh, what the difference between theater and film was. And I uh, mumbled something. I think this, this type of writing, strangely enough, and I'm not going to explain this at all, no. is exactly that difference. Which this bit type of writing? Of, this type of writing that he's doing, this noun-heavy thing, yeah. I think is kind of close to film. Wireless imagination. Yeah, I think it, it's kind Words of close to what film can do that theater. And on that horribly cryptic wow. note, I'm, I'm not sure about that at all. <laughs> that's, that's what did Marinetti say? He said uh, with his observation, "Little more than a great void in my stomach." Yeah, I've got the same sensation right now with that conjecture. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to have to think about uh, 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 what was it? What's it? Dublin. Name? Dublin's. Criticism there. Yeah, I think I think there are there are several there are several kind of loose questions that we're going to bring into the next episode of the podcast. It's only the one manifesto though, but we'll the one manifesto, one. but we have yes, but we're we're carrying some baggage from this one. I think this has opened up some questions uh, a lot about I mean we we maybe even took Marinetti's really angry poem seriously and we think we should call him into the counselor's office, you know? Yeah. 
Um, so there's there's a lot to carry on into the next podcast. But some really interesting, I th- hope, insights. Uh, I don't know Hopefully. about not only uh, literature, but also about uh, futurism generally. I think the character of it has been subtly shaded again. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe yeah. not. I don't know. Maybe you think, oh god, I'm sick of them. But uh, uh, lastly, why not? If you're a keen and budding writer, <laughs> try your own hand at this noun-heavy style of futurism. If you ever suffered from writer's block, why not use Give these technical st- skills? Mm-hmm. Even if you don't think that it'll get you towards a machine sensibility, perhaps it'll free up your writer's block mm-hmm. and be a bit of fun. That's what we were discussing as well. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. And see you next time.